All right. Uh, boy, oh, boy. You guys are uh, you guys are on it today. They are flying. We get a lot of them. Love uh, it. By the way, the front of the boat that the uh, the guy stands on is the pulpit. Oh. It's called something else, but most people are saying it's the pulpit. I'll take your word for it. Uh, welcome to Legal Tuesday. Buzz Legal Advisor, Attorney Ryan Russman. And to answer your question, email them to us, Greg Roadkill Laura at MorningBuzz.com. You can also follow him online at RussmanLaw.net. Today's first question, Counselor, comes from Laura J. Boyce. Laura J. Boyce. Laura J. Boyce here. A couple lived together for 15 plus years, never married. If the beneficiary named is other than that said partner, could this be challenged by a common law marriage in New Hampshire? And if and what could said partner be entitled to? Well, in the question, it doesn't tell me what the beneficiary of what is. In other words, if there's a will or a life insurance policy. Common law marriage, generally speaking, in New Hampshire, it's an interesting concept because it's it's proven after one of the individuals is actually deceased. You have to actually put testimony before the probate court that you held yourselves out as being married, and you would require testimony from an individual saying that you know you would put the individual who is your spouse out as your wife or your husband that you carried yourself in that way that you introduced yourself in that way. But unfortunately, in the nature of the question, it doesn't tell me the beneficiary of what. So if it's a, a life insurance policy, it's a contract, it goes outside the boundaries of, of law. And so that individual, or I should say a probate, so what happens in that circumstance is that individual named in the life insurance policy would take. If it's a will situation, again, you don't have to be a spouse to be a beneficiary under a will. So the circumstances of what the beneficiary is in what context would be helpful to answer that question. So that's hearsay. Right, I mean, you'd have to be—you'd have to find people that says, "Well, right. he introduced me to her as his wife." Precisely, as opposed to writing on a form, "Are you married?" Yes. And, and those kinds of documents can actually help as well. If you right. actually introduced yourself uh, in, in to others, but if you had documents, as you suggest, that mm-hmm. said, "You know, this is my wife." Those are things okay. that would come into evidence uh, potentially as proof of the of the common law marriage. I'm getting laid off from my job, and they've offered me a severance package. But in order to get it, they're making me sign a quote general release form to get it. It's the first time I've been laid off, so I'm not sure if it's normal. Should I sign it? Well, unfortunately, again, without knowing what the contents of the agreement is, it's impossible for a lawyer to answer that without actually reading it. You'd want to have someone review it so that you understood what it is that is in that release so that you weren't necessarily giving up rights that you were entitled to under the law. I mean, lawyers have a wonderful purpose. We're, we're great in terms of you know generally answering questions, but the specifics in these kinds of questions are really important because if you don't know the context of what you're giving up, you can't just generally say, yeah, you should sign that release because I- you don't know what's in it. I don't think it's abnormal. I, I, I mean, I don't think it's very rare. I know it happens. I know people that have been laid off, and they're asked to sign something that basically says that you won't sue the company. That's that's basically, I mean, a lot of times the reason behind the release. And, and that, that could be. But again, I think the reality, without seeing the, the contents of that, writing, you wouldn't want to say blanketly that you should just I understand sign. That. It may be a common practice, but you'd want to know and perhaps, you know, having a consultation with a lawyer would be useful. I mean, we talk about it all the time. We have all this knowledge. We're happy to help, but that's the, the idea is to get it out there to help people. And they dangle the money out in front of you. If you're not thinking of suing them, that's, no, that's, yeah. they, that's what they do. They're dangling yeah. the money. You want the money, then don't sue us. That's it, basically what they're asking. It, it, it could be that. It know? very well could be that. All right. I heard the police use a different method for DWI and no longer do the breathalyzer test. Test. Is this true? 
Well, what I'm finding across the board is that most police departments are actually no longer as heavily relying on the breath test. They're actually using blood tests. Uh, the Intoxalyza 5000, which was in, in widespread use here in New Hampshire, is an aging technology. They have eliminated the secondary breath sample um, for uh, individuals that have been charged with DWI. So what most departments are doing is switching over to blood tests. They happen to be more accurate in terms of the science behind them. Um, obviously, there are problems in terms of the collection, but most departments are actually transiting to a, a blood test instead of a breath result. I have an email. It's anonymous, but it might be one of the best questions we ever had. Uh, my sister is marrying a loser. Does Ryan have gift cards so that I can give them as a wedding present for their impending divorce? <laughs> that is the greatest. That is a great idea. Ever. That, that is, is a great idea. Would, if we did a question of the week, that would be oh it. A gift card. What I want is like yeah. a picture of Ryan great. with a thumbs up going, I know. see you soon. I know. That's great. That's a great question. I, I, I can't. Uh, I hit the wrong one. I wanted to hit this one because that right there is that's a winner. Uh, I'm not going to name you, but that's a damn good question. Good for you. Laura, you got one. Uh, what should I do? Oh, my goodness. If I fail to pay a fine 10 years ago for possession of a minuscule amount of marijuana, I just found out that I have a warrant out for my arrest. You bet you 10 do. years ago. Should I pay off the fine first and then contact the police, or do I just go and turn myself in? Please help. So what I would do is contact counsel, see if you can file a motion to strike the bench war and clear the, the default, and then reach out to the prosecutor and see if the fine can be paid either through the court itself or... If you didn't want to go through counsel, you can actually contact the court, uh, ascertain what the fine amount is. There's probably a default fee that must be paid as well and see if there's a possibility of them just by paying the fine, them clearing the warrant for your arrest. But there's also a default fee. It's usually $50 that must be paid. An oil company delivered 100 gallons in error to my apartment. They did not leave a delivery receipt and did not notify me until two or three weeks later by letter in the mail. It's been almost two years now, and I keep telling them I shouldn't have to pay a dime because they waited too long to notify me. I can easily check my oil level on a daily basis like, I, like they claim I should. Am I at fault, and are there any laws that protect me? Well, I want to investigate that more closely, but one of the things that I can tell you under a theory of equity is that if you benefited from their error and you didn't make any effort to correct that in terms of payment for that oil, then there is a possibility under an equity question that you had this benefit of the oil, you use the oil, and you confer, they conferred this benefit upon you, they may be able to seek uh, a payment for that, that error. But again, I want to research it more closely. There are certain limitations in terms of bringing action, so I'd want to know more about when the delivery was made and how they perhaps notified you of their error. Is it your normal oil company, or is it a company that you don't even employ? <laughs> I mean, right? Because if you have a relationship and you have a, a, an oil company that you usually deal with, I would see, I would think more likely that you would pay it because you're, you're going to give them the money eventually. Right. I mean, common anyway. sense, uh, you know, may prevail in this situation, and I right. make an excellent point. Mm. I have a court order to pay a certain amount for child support based on my wages for my full-time job. I recently went part-time to focus on school, which decreased my income drastically. Can I go to the court to reduce the amount of child support, or do I need to wait until the three-year mark to make any changes? Well, the the question becomes if you're intentionally reducing the amount of income that you're making, the court can actually say that you're voluntarily uh, under-incoming yourself. And that can be a problem in terms of what you would owe to your former spouse. So what I would do is have a consultation with uh, marital counsel about this question. 
There are circumstances for which inside the three years you can then seek to have relief from the court from the initial uh, child support amount paid if you got laid off, for example. But to voluntarily underemploy yourself during that period of time may pose some questions as to whether or not you are continually obligated to pay the higher amount of child support. I recently took vacation time at work for my honeymoon. My workplace took my vacation time from next year and used it for this year without my knowledge. Is that something that can be done? Well, I've not heard that before, so I, it would depend on the conversations you had with your employer about the annual amount of leave that you're permitted within a particular calendar year. It's not something that I, I'm particularly uh, familiar with. I'd want to do some research on that, but it would seem like if you were going on a honeymoon and you were going to take that time, that you'd want to have you know the paid time off. So if they were right. doing that to, as a benefit to you, that may not be something you want to necessarily contest. Yeah, if you have like a week's worth of vacation and you took 10 days and they just took three days from you next year or whatever, that right. yeah, they, but yes they might and, be... Yes and no, because... Unless you, you have sick days. or But you, that would have yeah. required you calling in sick, though. But no, you could take time unpaid... Right? Yes, but you've got to arrange that ahead of time. Yeah. If you have a week left on vacation and you go away for 10 days, you can't just let the workplace decide. You have to let them know, I'm going to be gone for 10 days and right. make that arrangement ahead of time, and, and think, at least in my work experience. And so I think having that conversation with your employer about the rationale behind it, I think, would be useful because, in fact, yeah. you, may have, in fact incur, you may have incurred a benefit that you yeah. may not have necessarily achieved. Let's, let's have a conversation, shall we, people? Let's talk to each other. Talk to each other. <laughs> Chit-chat. Okay. That way all this legal stuff... Doesn't happen. Learn to love your job more. No wait. Learn to love the.